Hi, and welcome to Serious About Sustainability, the podcast series brought to you by Mitsubishi Electric's Ikadan, air source heat pump. I'm Russell Dean from Ikadan, and you're listening to a series of podcasts all about renewable home heating. We'll be covering a range of topics from the perspective of UK homeowners, self-builders, contractors, house builders, and housing associations. Our show today is called Supporting Social Housing for Net Zero. My guests are George Clark, architect and Ikadan ambassador, and James Meeling, ex-director at Blue Flame. Welcome to you both. It's great to have you both on the podcast today. Thanks for having us. James, if I could start with you, you've been involved in renewable energies for, well, nearly as long as I have, you know, 15 15 years now. Tell us a little bit about your journey. Okay, so I've actually been a heating engineer since about 91, I believe I started my apprenticeship. Um, worked within the domestic installation uh, for heating systems up to and including all my time at Blue Flame. But we started um, in 2007 installing renewable heating systems for Baby District Council. At the time, uh, Baby District Council had a principal uh, building service engineer called Ben Hancock. Now, Ben's previous uh, career, he was actually in the Navy. He was a submarine engineer. And Ben had a very unique way of looking at things and he could bring other technologies into the fore when uh, obviously trying to uh, work out different ways to uh, look at sustainability in the properties, etc. So when um, sort of 2005, 2007, air source heat pumps started to come into the the mainstream in the UK market, um, as Blue Flame held the uh, installation contract at the time for gas boilers, he came to us and said, can you perhaps um, offer some solution with me to be able to um, look at a programme of installing air source heat pumps? So that's really how it all started back in 2007. Interesting. I think I think it's a, a misconception about air source heat pumps, I think, because most of the, the press and the media is focused about the changing in the building regulations and how... Uh, you know, no gas boilers uh, in a new build house post 2025. And they, mm. they almost see that as the birth of the heat pump. But <laughs> yes, right. We've been doing it for ages. Absolutely. And one of the one of the areas who've had most uptake in, in heat pumps is social housing. Yeah, and it's um, obviously, if you think about, they're, they're the ones who've got the housing stock. Mm. So it made sense in the early days for them to look at how they could make energy bills as low as possible for their residents. Uh, Baby District Council, because of where it was placed um, geographically in the country, there's a lot of off-gas properties there. So a lot of them had um, storage heaters or oil boilers. So we were taking out a lot of those old systems and putting renewable systems in. Um, ben, at the time, was he was quite uh, forward-thinking because I'm, I'm sure you'll appreciate and agree that back then the technology for the control of heat pumps was not as good as it is today. Mm-hmm. Um, So he wanted to work on the principle of setting an air source heat pump with a fixed flow temperature and using it on an S or a Y plan central heating system, Mm -hmm. which um, is sort of the old school way of doing things before we moved into weather compensation. But that in its own way was still made the systems more economical than gas or oil, uh, but user friendly for the tenants. But as I'm sure, you know, people who follow these podcasts now know the way heat pumps operate and should be run. Um, technology moved on a long way since then. Can I just ask what the technology was like? Because, you know, I'm a relatively new eco-ambassador, I suppose, when it comes to eco and Mitsubishi Electric. And, I mean, I've always, for me, ecological design when I was at university was very much about kind of fabric first, you know, high levels of insulation, sometimes even looking at more traditional forms of construction, lots of thermal mass, and then looking at cross ventilation and things like that. And when we when we did kind of heating systems, it always seemed to be quite conventional. Even when I was at university in the 1990s, it was like, you know, gas boiler, you might have had a bit of a conversation about some sort of ground source heat pump, possibly. Yeah. But we never, ever, when I was at university, talked about air source heat pumps. So what was it like in 2007 when you started doing those installs? It was... Um some of the manufacturers that we used back then, um, unfortunately, we, we weren't using Mitsubishi back then. Um, we were tasked to use a different manufacturer. 
And whilst the technology was there to make the systems more efficient than a conventional oil boiler or direct electric, the actual user interface was far too complicated um, for, for private households, let alone um, social housing where you might have elderly residents or tenants who, who don't understand the fact that the radiators were going to be much cooler than they were going to be with an oil boiler. Early days, um, the air source heat pump uh, market was very niche, I believe. Um, that was for people um, who could see a way of saving a bit of money. They had a bit of spare money in their pocket, thought, OK, I'll try and be a bit more green. But it was really when the social housing sector um, came into the fore and said, OK, let's look at this whole scale and start putting these systems in uh, for customers and tenants who perhaps haven't got as much um, uh, of an outlay to spend on their, their, their fuel bills. But to answer your question, <laughs> yeah, the, the technology was there. It wasn't as nowhere near as refined as it is today. Um, but and what is the difference between then and now? You talked about control panels and user interface. Mm. If, if you think about the, mo- the well, not the modern, the, the current air source heat pump technology is, is inverter driven. So it's, 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 it's modulating, it, it's matching the load. If you went back at the birth of uh, heat pump technology in people's homes in the UK, it would become... Uh, instantly on full power, instantly yeah. off full yeah. power. Yeah. Yeah. So you can imagine what that does to a piece of equipment if you're going from naught to 100 mile an hour, from 100 miles to naught. So running well, it's, clock, like, it's also like boiling a kettle, isn't it? You've just kind of gone from exactly room right. temperature to yeah. boiling point very, very quickly. Yeah, very, very, so, so the wear and tear on the compressor is quite huge. The wear and tear on, on everything else is quite huge. Um, also, you, what you'll always have with a heat pump is um, defrost. So what will happen in winter conditions if it's you know high moisture content outside and it gets cold, because we're trying to scavenge as much heat as we can, once that water moisture content hits the coil outside, it will, it will freeze up. And that will require the system to go into defrost, which is almost reversing the process. Yeah. Now, there's, there's different ways of doing that, um, but what you would have historically is that that unit could turn into a block of ice very, very quickly, and it hasn't got those subtleties and controls to spot that and, right. to, and to preempt that defrost. So really, what defrost should look like is, yeah, you know, maybe once an hour in, it, in its in its most extreme conditions, the home the homeowner tenant shouldn't even notice it. Yeah. The only thing that you'll ever see is once that that small coating of ice is being released, is some vapor coming off the unit. I mean, we we used to maybe get a question that my unit's on fire, and you're like, it's not. It's just it's just the water <laughs> evaporating from the coil. So I think I mean that's all great to know. Genuinely, I know a lot about the technology now. But I didn't really know about what it was like in 2007, 2008 yeah, in those slightly days. And I mean, that's, the, that's the, quite amazing in terms of the advances because was, it sounds like it's a more gentle system. There yeah. was one manufacturer whose defrost um, process was to use a kettle. <laughs> <laughs> so you that's heated the water brilliant. up and, and poured the water in the kettle. So. <laughs> that's very eco. Well, I didn't come across that manufacturer, thankfully. <laughs> that is nuts. But do you know what? Honestly, that is really, really good to know because yeah. I didn't know that. And, and, and those advances and in the innovation seem to make it a much more balanced system and a more efficient system and a more user-friendly system. It's, it's our, it was our biggest learning curve because... I think as, a, as a, a manufacturer of technology or as a group of engineers, you wanted to make the best technology, the best box you can, let's just argue. And there you go, there's the best box and this is what it does. And then you go and you put it in a airing cupboard and, and, and then you open the airing cupboard and it's there in Starship Enterprise. <laughs> and, yep. you know, as James has just said, <laughs> you know, even a... Even an engineer that owns his own house would go, oh, what's going on in here, let alone a, a vulnerable social housing tenant. So yeah. really, really quickly we went, actually, it's not all about the box. You know, the box has to be the best we can make it. It's about the interface. Absolutely. And the controls have to be so simple that everyone yeah. can benefit from it. And I have to say the control panel on mine is effortless, really. Yeah, I absolutely. mean, it's so easy. It it's be. unbelievable. It's yeah. just a tiny little panel that big, and it's yeah. it's even easier than operating a kind of old-school thermostat for me. It's, it's so straightforward. Well, if the system's been designed and installed properly, really that's, that temperature up and down buttons on the on the EcoDan controller should be all you need. Um, if people are using the systems, they're leaving them on 24 hours a day and just reducing the temperature overnight by a few degrees, um, let the thermal mass of the house take the load, as it were. So the ECADAN, all it's got to do is just replace the energy as it's used or goes through the, the, the well-insulated house, so very slowly. It's, a, it's as efficient as it can be and the most user-friendly it can be. Yeah, and without 
trying to sound like I'm being a salesman for EcoDan <laughs> products. Mine, because my house is pretty well insulated, and I've got triple glazing in there. Right. It's hardly on at all. Yeah. Hardly and on And that's at how it all. should be. It's perfect. Yeah. It, there's no need to talk to homeowners about where the compensation curves and this happens and this happens. It's, it's just that central interface that, that that's where we wanted to get to. And now it's... Well, it's smartphone control. It's it's you know it's it's everything that, that it mm. needs to be. And for social housing tenants, effortless. But even social housing providers must love systems like that. They they do in as much as uh, so they're, they're taking out those old inefficient systems. They're taking out the old oil boilers, the old direct electric um, storage heaters, and putting this nice new kit in. But it comes down to a few fundamentals that have to be addressed. Uh, first of all, is a good survey. Um, a good design, a good installation, and an even better handover. If you get one of those wrong, the system won't work properly. It's really important to do that handover very well with the tenant to set it up how they're going to use it, how they can get the most out of it, give them a bit of education on tariffs that are out there. Obviously, at the moment, we all know we're all in the same boat with tariffs, so it's just a matter of finding the best one they can. But um, it's explaining about the fact that the the, the radiator's do get cooler as it gets warmer outside. They get warmer as it gets colder outside. And if you don't explain that to them, the amount of calls that come through the call centre for, oh, my radiators aren't hot. And that is just a waste of time for us to go out again and again and again. Um, so it's that, that handover and really talking to the tenants about how they get the most out of the system is, is a fundamental. I suppose it's educating them about how the system works. Absolutely. Because they're so used to just having a... You know, gas-fired boiler, oil-fired yeah. boiler, whatever it might be, and you just go, right, crank it up. Yeah. Normally 21 degrees. I don't know why 21 degrees. It <laughs> seems to be the one that everyone seems to use, 21, 22 yeah. degrees. Cranks up, and then when it goes off, it's because they've decided to turn it off. Yeah, and, and there's no sense in doing that. You know, uh, with a gas boiler or an oil boiler where you're set to the thermostat, as you quite rightly say, 21 degrees, they might say, I'll have it on for an hour in the morning, and I'll have it on for an hour in the evening. And you find that it's people who are in fuel poverty who run it like that, or even perhaps less. But when you try and uh, put it across to, to tenants, because we're obviously talking about social housing here, that actually it's, it's cheaper to leave the system on. And you try and explain to them why, and you, you give the, um, the analogy of, you know, it's like driving a car around the M25. The cheapest way to do that is in one go without stopping. Well, the cheapest way to heat your house for a day is to heat it once and don't let it cool down. Yeah. And trying to instill that in people and actually try and get them to buy into it is, is problematic. Well, it's the boil and the kettle analogy again. It is. And it also reminds me a little bit of um, when we first did underfloor heating installations for mm. people. And it's actually better to have the underfloor heating on at a very low temperature for Strong. longer because the water's not going freezing cold yep. and then going super hot again. It's, it's more of a balanced, more sensitive approach where you'd say, actually put it on all day at 17, 18 rather than full blast of 22. Absolutely right. It's keeping that thermal mass warm. Once it's warm, there's very little energy to, take, to keep it there. Yeah. And, and that's, that's, that's the key, isn't it, to get, the, to get the benefits of the technology? Absolutely. And I'm mad about social housing. I was, I was brought up in a council estate, and obviously I've had my social housing campaign. Have you seen a big shift in social housing providers wanting to adopt clean, green technology like this? That's a very good question. It's probably, we, I suppose I've dealt with about 10 different local authorities and housing associations, and I'd probably say half of them bought into it. Others dabbled in it, um, and for whatever reason, they felt that they couldn't go down that, that road, whether there wasn't the right people within the authority to be able to, um, to, to deal with the process. Because obviously at the time, there was the RHI, which was available for a lot of um, installations. Yeah, renewable heating centre. Absolutely, yeah. And I remember one um, local authority who would not install an air source heat pump because they thought that if they claimed the RHI, they could be sued by the tenants because it was theirs. Oh, really? Yeah, and even I said, it's, it's yours, it's your technology, it's your kit that you're putting into your stock. Um, but they, they wouldn't have it. They wouldn't have it. So the, the, the whole process for them was stopped in the accounts department. <laughs> and do you find that often? Um, it happened a couple of times where people were sceptical. So um, it's all about education. And that's where things like this um, obviously come to the fore and uh, letting the people know that the technology is out there and it's out there for everybody. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, the, the actual quantity of heat pumps that gone into social housing is huge. I mean, we've, we've worked with some house, social housing providers that are putting thousands of systems and you're talking five or six a week. Um, mm. 
and they really mastered the art of installing a heat pump on a, on a really tight budget. And when you hear t uh, conversations about air source heat pumps being expensive to install and apply, I mean, I'm going back 10 years where they were doing it for uh, 8,000 pounds, you know, seven, 8,000 mm. pounds. So um, it's certainly, they, they, pro they, prove, they proved for us uh, and for the industry that te that the technology could be applied retrofitted in mass numbers. It's already been done. It's it's almost like a forgotten part of the journey that we went on with yeah, for, for social right. housing. Yeah. And and doing things at scale and making it affordable is staggeringly important for social housing, isn't it? It is. Yeah, it is. We went through a program. Um, Blue Flame was actually owned by Flagship Housing, and Flagship um, at the point where I left in July, we're on a program of installing 800 heat pump systems a year so it goes to show that you know they're committed they're committed to their tenants they're committed to bringing their uh, housing stock up to i think it's plan c is it from an epc mm -hmm. from next year um they want to make the difference and make it affordable for the tenants to be able to run these systems as we're as we can see it's, it's getting harder and harder i mean the, i suppose the one good thing about the social housing provider is that they've got a long-term interest in that stock have, haven't they they have indeed. and they want it to be quality and yeah. they want it to be affordable absolutely and also i suppose they want their tenants who might be in fuel poverty to be looked after as much as possible yeah and um up i think I was trying to think last year there was um a crossover point of where air source heat pumps and oil weren't actually you know, the, the cost of running an oil system wasn't actually any cheaper than running a heat pump system. But that hopefully is going to change. Um, but I know that with gas now, I believe air source heat pump systems are actually just coming, turning the corner, actually cheaper to run than a gas system now as well. Under the, under the new energy cap, that's that's right, yeah. yeah. So for, for a long time, the, it was difficult to argue a run cost benefit to running an air source heat pump over a gas boiler because... Mm. Uh, Gas was a third of the price of electricity. Correct. But now with, with the en increase in energy costs and the in and that's where the real efficiency of the heat pumps come in, yeah. it's now cheaper than a, a gas boiler. Obviously, oil's oil's been subject to a lot more fluctuations, a lot more regularly. It has. Um, you know, uh, and there's always a good commercial argument to to put in a heat pump over a, over an oil boiler, mm -hmm. along with having a big oil tank outside that was hard to maintain. It was dangerous. You know. It, you know. Subject to theft. Theft <laughs> was, a, was a good thing, yeah. There must also be, a, I suppose, when you get large organisations that provide social housing, they must have a zero-carbon agenda now, like most other organisations out there. They do indeed. So, yeah, so there must be being nudged even more to use air source heat pumps. Uh, flagship was a very, very good housing association. They wanted to, um, to become as green as they possibly could. But obviously, with um, net zero on the horizon... Um, and companies wanting to be more and more sustainable. Um, everyone, I think, has a, a, a legitimate interest in trying to make these houses as, as energy efficient and as uh, cheap to run as possible. So in your experience, I mean, we, we just touched on it slightly, but what were the challenges of, of applying air source heat pump technologies to that, that larger rollout for social housing? How, how did you tackle those challenges? Education mm -hmm. um, is the first thing. Um, there were certain uh, areas geographically where they would want to roll out a program of installing systems. So we would um, hire out a village hall or something, and you would have the residents, you know, offer out all the residents to come down, um, have a chat. We actually had the Eco Dan um, van once at a place in Suffolk, and we had it you there. had a village hall gathering to talk yeah. about air source heat pumps. Absolutely, that's brilliant. Yeah, well, it's the best way to to, to reach the masses in an area. It's great. Um, if you don't, you talk to one person and that one person is Chinese whispers. You know, oh, they said the air source heat pump can do this. That's not quite right. We didn't say that, but it can do this. Yeah. If you have everybody together um, and you invite all of the local communities, so for um, local authorities or a housing association, say, okay, we're going to be here on this date. Um, these are the leaflets we'll have. Please come along. Ask any questions you like. Um, uh, you find that some people sit there in the corner, they won't ask any questions. Um, and you'll always find there's be one spokesperson who will uh, set up the PA system and you know, you've got to stand there and answer the questions. But that's fine. You know, it's all about education. So that's yeah, how we brilliant. would try and cover that for the masses. For the oh, most. I love that. Yeah. Village hall visits for air source heat pump education. Absolutely. I think that's <laughs> the Ecodam van referring to is, is, is products in, in, a, in a van that we would drive around to show people. It is. Yeah. It was so important to show people what it looked like, 
what it felt like, how mm. big it was, what it sounded like, uh, you know. The types of controls. Types of controls, yeah. yeah. Uh, I remember we had that on a village green. Um, that was for Havebury Housing. Uh, we went through a program of taking out um, some poorly installed ground source. Unfortunately, the boreholes weren't big enough on this particular project. Um, so through some investigation, we found out what we needed to do. I think it was about 25 or 30 different properties. So because the, all of the tenants had been having problems with their systems for so long, we said, OK, let's let's take the, the van along, the Ecodam van, um, invite everybody along so they could all ask questions and, and become invested to buy into the project, um, which, which helps. If you, if you don't explain things to people, they'll become sceptical. But if you can actually sit there, look at the kit, talk to people, ask the questions you want to ask, and they, they buy into it, which is really what people need to do. If there's scepticism around this technology, people become afraid of it. Okay. Yeah, there seems to be a couple of themes we've talked about in these podcasts a lot about being honest about the technology and how it works and mm. also collaborating and educating people. Absolutely. If you don't do that, then, um, then, then people just won't believe it. The, the amount of um, new build properties that I've been asked to go to to do um, a survey um, for an, an airsoil system, and someone on the building site says, don't touch one of those, they're, they're no good. But they're not, that's just so false. It's because someone's been burnt by not having a system designed, installed, or run correctly. It's one of those things. People are scared of change, aren't they, in that aspect? They but I think this, this is such an incredibly important change that people need to go through. You know, we can't continue to burn stuff. You know, we can't continue to burn fossil fossil fuels to, to heat our heat our buildings it has to change and it has to change pretty, it pretty rapidly and it's, it's interesting because when as soon as you said people are scared of change you know what it made me think of i went to, to see a social housing provider and, and i met one of the tenants and let's just say she was of a certain age <laughs> and she just had an install done and she really bought into it she wasn't even skeptical about it i think because she'd been kind of it had been explained to her probably about what it did and how te- how good the technology was and how much easier it was going to be for her to use. And she was buzzing about it. And I remember even saying to her, did you have any fears? And she was like, no, 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 it's fantastic. Yeah. You know, they showed me how it would work. They told me how it would work. I trusted them, which obviously trust is a very, very important factor in that conversation. Absolutely. She said, I trusted them and it works like an absolute dream. And I, I feel bad saying it, but I just... When I met her, as I say, of a certain age, I thought she would have been sceptical about it, worried about it, would have had lots of fears about it. And she just jumped in. And I know she might be a bit of an exception, but I do think there's the other side where we think everybody's scared by jumping in for the new. But I think when, as you guys have explained, you've been in this business for a long time and the industry's moved on so much and it's been tried and tested more and more and more. And I think the the lovely thing is that you get a lot of social housing tenants going, I'm up for that. Let's yeah. just let's go for it. Let's do it. It sounds great. Well, I think even now, um, it's actually with the energy crisis as it is, this is actually going to make people sort of embrace the technology, because everyone's going to be looking to how they can save on their running costs. Local authorities and housing associations have now got a duty of care to be able to you know, provide these systems, and it's almost that the tenants have to be on board with it. So if there's a good installer behind that who can explain the systems and their technologies to the tenants, then really this is a, a win-win. Fantastic. Yep. It's interesting because now the RHI finished in, in, um, in March this year. We have the Baller Upgrade Scheme, mm-hmm. which is a, essentially a £5,000 grant up front uh, for the private homeowner. But there's some significant funding pots available for, for social housing providers to, to apply low-carbon technology. Uh, and I looked at that when it first came out because you had the Baller Upgrade Scheme, which was um, in excess of £400 million, 90,000 applications, I think well that's 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 a, that's not a lot compared to what what we need to get to because we're talking about six hundred thousand heat pumps by twenty twenty eight a million by twenty thirty one, um, but then when you look on the social housing or the the low income households, there's you have the social housing decarbonation fund, you'll have the local authority delivery phase, you have eco funding, and you know the total to that is three point nine billion. Wow! And you think well, four hundred million. 3.9 billion. Why? Why so much in that sector, and why not one in the, in the other? And it, it became glaringly obvious is that, you know, what we have is that disparity in fuel prices between electric and gas, where, mm. you know, it's a little bit out of control, but gas, electric was three times the price of gas. And fundamentally, what we're doing is we shouldn't be one coupling electric to the gas price because I know I understand 40% of 
of um, electric great for gas, but they shouldn't be so coupled because when we get into this situation, if one goes up, they both go up. And and also, a lot of the levies are placed on electric and they should be relieved. So we, we shouldn't be taxing the low carbon fuel. We should be heavily taxing the fossil, fossil fuels. Absolutely. So what you get into there is how do we address that, that rebalance of fuel prices? And there is the danger because because there's so many homes on gas boilers. If you were to increase the price of price of gas, as we've seen with this energy crisis, what you're going to do is force a lot of people into fuel poverty, particularly in low income households. So then I could I could then understand that's why we're we're investing so much mm. into low income households. It's 3.9 billion. Is one we need to make sure that those households are in efficient homes. So the heat pump isn't that that golden ticket, and let's be clear about that. It isn't that golden ticket to make a home efficient. The home has to be wrapped first. It has to be insulated and brought up to modern standards of insulation, Good, then apply a heat pump. And that's what these, all of these funding streams are designed to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I suppose on a very simple level as well, you know, when you've got people in social housing, they're in the most need for yeah. that help and support. That's right. And, it, and I think if you're a private homeowner, then you're, fantastic good luck to you you've got yourself on the property ladder it's your home and yes the government are, have given a certain amount of money in terms of a grant to be able to put in an air source heat pump but you've kind of got to match that a bit you've got to put some money in because it's your home i think when it comes to social housing provision it is people that really do need it most you've got you know well over a million people in fuel poverty now right. before the cost of living crisis before the energy crisis is happening this year I'm genuinely quite frightened about what's going to happen over the next one to two years. I mean, long term, even more frightened, to be honest, if if green technologies aren't aren't taken on board and we reduce our dependence um, on gas and oil. But the next couple of years, I think, are going to be really, really difficult, really tough. And I think any help and support that social housing providers can get from government to be able to improve their stock for the long term, it's not a short term fix, this is a long term investment. And given them the incentive of upgrading insulation standards and, and glazing systems and things like that to say, look, you have to do these things and then you can access this money to use air source heat pumps as well, which yeah. is for me very important. But for them, you could argue it's the cherry on top. They've got to do those other fabric first things first before they adopt that technology. And, in some ways, I think it's great from the government to give that incentive. You know, it's, it's fantastic, really, because I think social housing providers need to take that long-term view. They've got a lot of stock. Some of them are huge. That's right. You know, very, very big social housing providers with a lot of stock. You think the capital investment that's got to be made in those buildings and those homes to upgrade them to the standard that we now need, it massive. needs that level of it. It's massive. It's absolutely huge. But the, the other good thing is that they take a long-term approach on any returns in that investment as well. True. You know, where a lot of other organisations or private homeowners might not necessarily, <laughs> you know, if, if I was a social housing provider and I had something like five or six or 8,000 properties and I was doing the number crunch now, you'd be thinking, yes, it needs a lot of investment, but this is something that we have to do mm. as a long-term, safe, secure yeah. and affordable social housing provider. Well, one of the, um, think about it, one of the how the uh, funding streams that flagship was using was the LAD funding. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was LAD2 was the last one, Local Authority uh, Development Fund. And that covered um, insulation, an air source heat pump system, and also PV. Yep. So when we're talking about fuel poverty, we're putting PV in with an air source heat pump. As we know, it doesn't cover the complete running cost of a system, nowhere near, but it, it helps at certain points of the day. And having that technology coupled together and the sort of systems that we're talking about here makes a huge difference. Yeah, and I know we're talking about EcoDan a lot today, but you know, even when I think about my house with my EcoDan system, which I genuinely love, I'm not just saying <laughs> that because I'm sitting here doing a podcast today. No, I love it. It's it, yeah. it, it, it's a brilliant system, easy to use. You know, it's for me, it's it's relatively affordable, certainly compared to the old system that I had. But I knew that I had to make certain changes to that property to get it to a certain ecological level before we put that kit in. And I think that's really good. That's driving change across the board because you know you've got to improve your insulation standards if it's it's not at the right level. You know you've got to look at upgrading your glazing systems. And I think that then, for me, it's like that's a seismic shift in a lot of existing housing stock, whether it's social housing or not, across Britain to upgrade everything. 
it's, it's, it brings on to a common debate because one of the d- debates about the technology is people will often ask for, I want a high temp heat pump because I want a direct replacement for my gas boiler. And you go, okay, but they're, 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 historically there's been trade-offs there. So that trade-off could be you have multiple compressors to raise to raise that temperature. So you're increasing the cost of the equipment, the embodied carbon of the equipment. And really, is that what we should be just be doing is, is, is providing a heat a high temp system? Because what we really need to do is make those buildings efficient. And really, you're not if you're going for a high the reason we have high temp systems is because our buildings aren't efficient. But that's that's right. what everybody's used to. Yeah. And uh, and it's in some ways it's kind of quite ridiculous in this country when I visit some other certainly northern European countries, you know, when you've got to Sweden and Scandinavia, all through Scandinavia and the Netherlands, it's um you can just tell they've put a lot into the fabric of the building first. Yeah. They know that's the most efficient way of doing it. One of the problems for us is we've just got very old housing stock. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that simple. We've, we, we have some of the oldest housing stock in Europe. And that needs a big shift to make the fabric more ecological before we start adding lots and lots of tech. Uh, to put in an air source heat pump and just make it work like crazy, like you're just putting more tech to make it work harder and harder and harder to generate more heat that's just going to go out your windows and through your roof. It's just bonkers. Just looking out the wrong way, aren't we? Yeah, we might as well just stay where we are, which is not where we want to be. Um, So... yeah, it's it is mad. You know, I think about my granddad actually back in his you know, social housing back in the day, and you know his house was bloody freezing. It was absolutely freezing, and it wasn't for the fact that he didn't put the heating on. It was just because it was a nineteen thirties building. It had no insulation in it whatsoever. Hardly any insulation in the roof. I mean, he did put some in, but not a lot. Mm. Um, very inefficient boiler. He had a water storage tank that wasn't even lagged and insulated properly. You know, it was just a big tin can basically being heated up i mean i should have been hugging that hot water tank <laughs> rather than anything else in the house because it was the warmest room isn't it? i mean it's mad isn't it? you would like open the airing cupboard and it would be boiling hot in there yeah. really hot because you were just heating up the cupboard <laughs> rather than heating up the house but that, that was, wasn't that long ago that was back in the times when they thought that energy would never run out you know it's oh it's something the next generation can worry about that whereas now we've actually moved on and we know that Energy is a is going to be a problem in the future. There's not that much gas left, so you know we now need to look at the insulation on the properties, the double glazing, the triple glazing, the insulating as much as we can in the properties, and then putting in low carbon um, air source heat pumps that can actually take care of the heating on a low grade. Yeah, and then my granddad went mad because um, the social housing provider came around and put natural ventilation vents everywhere, so he just covered them up in sellotape and masking tape because he's like, I'm not, I'm not heating the house up at that level for it to go straight out the vents. <laughs> and the whole thing was bonkers. It was, it was probably the most, one of the most inefficient heating systems in terms of everything. Every, the insulation was terrible, single glazing, you know, the, the boiler was inefficient. The tanks weren't lagged properly. I mean, it was ridiculous, to be honest with you. And that wasn't unusual. You know, when I looked across the estate, there was a lot of people living in similar properties in similar ways. Mm-hmm. And you think of where we were then and where we are now and where the mentality of social housing providers are, it's completely different. Mm-hmm. Thank God. It's interesting yeah, when you look, look back at the start of our journey with, with heat pumps for, for residential is that most of the lead engineering was done from our, uh, our factories in Japan. It's now in Europe and, and certainly in, the, in our factories in Scotland, but trying to explain to a Japanese engineer what an airing cupboard was. <laughs> and uh, Yeah, yeah, well, it just leaks out and that's how you dry stuff. <laughs> to an engineer, it's like, why would you let, why would you let the, the heat leak out? Is, uh, but I think it, it comes back to some really simple things that we've, we've talked about a lot here at Mitsubishi Electric is, you know, you just don't want things to be inefficient and you don't want to be wasteful. That mm. just doesn't make any sense. And, and, you know, you're absolutely right, James, because everybody thought that cheap energy was going to just run forever and ever and ever. And we realise right now that it's not. It's, no. it's getting very, very expensive. We've got to do things in a different way. And I th- the, what I think is really exciting about some social housing providers is that they are taking a very innovative approach, a long-term approach. They're looking at the numbers and the funding, the capital costs, the savings that are going to be made long-term. 
They're also thinking about the comfort of their tenants, which is great. You know, as a, they're, they're a yeah, they're a bit they're a landlord, and they've got a duty to be able to do that. And they're genuinely looking at a, you know, a duty of care and level of comfort of their tenants, and trying to keep them out of fuel poverty. And I think that's brilliant. They're like they're like a very feel good factor landlord, if you like, you know, the yeah. good ones who yep. are saying we need to do the right thing. And that, so they're looking at their business model. They're looking at their large numbers of stock. They're looking at their large numbers of tenants, um, many of whom are paying rent, you know, and they should be. And 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 looking at all of that, saying let's take a proper sustainable view. And and they've modelled it and costed it the good ones. Yeah. You know, modelled it, costed it, and really worked out the numbers and thought this is something that we're going to invest in. And mm-hmm. and without being really duty bound to do it, you know, a lot of them, as you've already mentioned, have adopted that technology quite early. Mm. And I think that's a myth. They didn't have to. No. They weren't obliged to do it, and, and they've decided to do it because they thought it was the right thing to do. But they've also done the numbers. It's, it's been quite inspirational to watch it, to watch uh, some of the ha- social housing providers do it at the scale that they did it at, at the speed they did it, uh, with that piece of courage for that change and dramatically improving thousands of their tenants' uh, you know lives and, and, and energy costs was Absolutely. was quite quite inspiring. It also actually improves the the house itself. Um, so as um, we've probably come across before in the past, when you have uh, an oil boiler or, or direct electric system um, and the tenant only uses it for a couple of hours a day, but they keep the house all locked up, some of the rooms uh, start to grow mould. Mm. Um, whereas with an air source heat pump system and the, the house is warm all the time, it actually alleviates that problem. So the health of the, the, the whole health of the building is better, the air quality is better for the tenants, and it hopefully improves people's Health, health-wise, it's not just their yeah. I mean, costs. better levels of comforts. Absolutely. You know, I mean, the number of people who, in substandard housing, who have suffered from all sorts of breathing difficulties and got asthma, or, mm. or even worse, you know, somewhere has been really damp. I mean, I've heard of people who've got kind of pneumonia from being in substandard properties at certain times of the year, which is a, a frightening thought it when is. you think about it. So. Yeah to bring in a more balanced, more intelligent system that improves the level of comfort and hopefully becomes more affordable is even better, really. It's a win-win. Mitsubishi Electric's Ecodam air source heat pump switch from fossil fuels like oil, LPG and storage heaters to clean, renewable home heating. Visit ecodam.co.uk for more information. So let's let's say we've had fifty percent of social housing providers uptake this technology. So, what advice would you give to the other fifty percent who haven't embraced the air source heat pump technology yet, or haven't have had a bad experience? But hmm. you know, the, t- the time is now back to engage. What, what, how could you break that advice down? Uh, for the ones that have uh, that have tried and had a bad experience, it, it, be don't give up. Mm-hmm. Um, find a good installer. Um, speak to Mitsubishi or their preferred manufacturer, and and get get a recommendation for a good installer. Um, have a consultation with them. Have a good old chat. Find out the level of um, housing stock that they've got, the quality of it, and put a plan together on how they can improve that over a over a x amount of years plan. Um, everyone's going to have to embrace this. So they've got to get on board, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, however you want to look at it, probably unfortunately for them because someone's got to sit there and actually go through that process. Yeah. Uh, but w- coming out the other end when their housing stock is vastly improved, the, the health of the tenants is, is improved, uh, the running cost of the system is better. But yeah, it would be to, um, to find out, to get the information from you know, Mitsubishi and um, yeah, to actually try. I also think be be specific about what you want to get out of this because what I would see is even if I was doing my own house, if you was in to invite someone and say, can you put a heat pump on my house? Yes, I can. There mm. you go. But but I, I, be specific about what you're trying to get. You want to get reduced running costs. You want to reduce your own carbon footprint. You want to be future-proofing. And be really specific about why you're doing it and really specific to everyone who's involved in that project about what our goals are from this project, and you will get there. Uh, and I think the danger is go, yeah, yeah, we've got to make this change. Um, let, let's just make this change and put this technology on. It's not enough, is it? I think you've got no. to get bring everyone along on that journey with you. Unfortunately, um, within any industry, there are some people, as we know, they like to take shortcuts. Mm-hmm. Um, with this technology, you can't do that. 
Um, it's got to be the right process from start to finish. So what you've said there is setting out those clear goals from the start is such a good fundamental point. Mm-hmm. And, and, I mean, the installer side is just staggeringly important. I mean, I've seen lots of products being installed on a build where you've got the products decent and they could be anything from solar panels to double glazing. And if it's not installed properly, that's always going to be a problem. And I think that it in is. some ways, I think it's a kind of a duty of the industry a bit to convince because at the end of the day these are customers and and clients you know we're we're trying to sell them a product if you like for their benefit in the long term um we need to convince them that the installation process is very good Mm -hmm. we know that the r&d that mitsubishi electric do is fantastic we know it's tried and tested technology you know i've got it in my house it's absolutely brilliant but let's say that install was slightly off i'd be straight on the phone Thankfully, you guys would still be there. You know, I can call up and you've got all the remote access to the kits and you can do a bit of kind of troubleshooting to see what the problem's going to be. But I do think there's a little bit of nervousness sometimes in the industry about about installers and good installers are very good in the systems. It's like having a great builder, isn't it? A good, <laughs> trustworthy builder who does a good job and a builder who's not trustworthy and doesn't do a good job. It's just not good for the industry. So I think on, on every level, I think people need to buy into the process being done to a very professional standard. I think um, just going, just circling back to the to the to the tenants and the technology and that and that the fifty percent that haven't uptaken the technology. I think one one thing that we learned going back to that opening up the air and cupboard and it's been Starship Enterprises. We learned what support we had to put in. Again, it wasn't all about the box. It was okay. So we're going to actually going to get lots of homeowners call us. Um, we need a homeowner helpline. And actually, homeowners don't operate between nine and five like a business. Homeowners are in the home 24-7. So actually, we need to be open 24-7 for those homeowners and those tenants to contact us. And I think that's one of the first things that we, we put in was a 24-7-hour uh, homeowner Which helpline. Which is brilliant, because if you think about it, most people come back in a conventional way and probably put their heating on at six, seven o'clock when they get home from work. A- absolutely, and of course, not the, that they should do that with an no, SRC pump. So. I know you should jump in on that, <laughs> but, but that's that's what they would be thinking in their head. And if they've set up their system incorrectly, they might come back and go, "Well, you know, it's not quite as hot as it should be," mm. and they're going to call you at half six, seven o'clock, and then you go, "Well, actually." put it on through the whole day and just reduce the temperature down and keep the system on all the time and it's going to work better. But it's it's always, you were saying actually earlier, like it's it's nearly always the program there, conventional older system to be on for an hour in the morning and an hour at the end of the day. That's right. And that mindset is bizarrely, it's still there in a lot of houses across Britain, even with new technology. And what we, what we can do now is we can see that system remotely. So we can see how that system's operating and we can instantly give feedback and say, this is what's going on with the system. This is what needs tweaking. Uh, Which is amazing. Yeah, when you think about brilliant. it, that's like staggering, isn't it? We kind of take some technology for granted now. But <laughs> I mean, what, the iPhone came out in 2007? Yes. You know, that kind of, is, and, yeah. and that's just at the time you yeah. were talking about doing installs of that's air source right. heat pumps. And you think how the developments in air source heat pumps has come along in that time and the developments of smartphones. The meter monitoring service pack you referred to there, Russell, is, is a fantastic bit of kit to be able to go onto an app, look at the system, see the temperatures, see if there's anything wrong, was such a revolutionary thing. Um, some of the older ones, some of the older MMSPs weren't quite so great, but the new one that's been out, I'll say new, it's probably been out about five or six years now, hasn't it? Is It was a game changer. Mm-hmm. And I think if every uh, local authority and housing association put that in, they could actually see whether the system was installed correctly as well, because it gives you enough data to be able to look at the system and say, there's something wrong there. Um, so you go back to the installers straight away and, and you know give them that instant feedback is also a, a, a good thing. It's you kind of think that, I, mean, no, I probably don't. I should probably know this, but I'm kind of, in my head now. I'm imagining that there would be kind of people working for a massive social housing provider and monitoring the kind of equal performance of their entire stock at any one time. I don't know if they do it or not, but they could do it. I think I think it's, that's a really really good point because. That's what you would imagine, but actually, the next the next phase of that is there, you don't need hundreds of people monitoring it. The system monitors itself. So with AI and the things that we have invested in behind the scenes, is that we can now see the system how it's operating, and let's just say an engineer could go, "Yep, yeah, this is this is this is this." We don't need that so much now, and, and we won't be able to when we get up to the scale of a million heat pumps. 
Um, you know, you need to have that technology behind. So all of this happens all the time automatically. That's right. So the homeowner and the social housing tenant uh, doesn't have to engage in that. We're spotting that, or the AI intelligence is spotting that and making those changes automatically. Which is uh, and it's, all, it's all part of a care package that you would, um, a social housing provider would sign up to or an installer would provide or a manufacturer would provide. But the brilliant thing about that, it's not just troubleshooting and finding problems, which... Let's be honest, most social housing providers would only find that out when someone picked up the phone and That's made right. a complaint and said, my system's not working properly. So that even the, the kind of the homeowner or the, not the homeowner, the tenant or your customer doesn't have to worry about that so much in some ways because the system's already doing it, which basically means you've got this constant ecological efficiency, if you like, troubleshooting and monitoring the efficiency of the, of the system to make sure it's been as green as possible. And, and that's, that's massive. It is, it's brilliant, and that, but that's where you need a good installation and a good installation engineer who can check that data and inform the customer, the tenants, that there's a problem ahead of time. You know, so we're, we're cutting down on the amount of time that the tenant is without heating or hot water. Yeah, and I think I think that, that kind of technological advance just, just does that automatically. It, does. It, it brings up another topic, which is a topic that, that, that's been talked about for quite a while, heat as a service. You know, and whether that worked for the private market or whether it worked for the social. And when I say heat as a service is that you don't own the system. You literally just pay to have your house at a temperature or you pay for a certain period of time at a temperature and how that works with a, with a social housing entity or how that works with a homeowner. And it would all be around this control system of us monitoring the system and, and, and changing things. And no one's actually done it at scale yet, but there's certainly many, many models out there being trialled for, for heat as a service. Okay. We um, installed, uh, I think it was about 24 individual systems at a uh, shelter site called Mason Court in Mendelsham. Um, we did look originally at putting in a couple of the larger commercial units, mm -hmm. uh, but that caused problems with who would then become the energy provider to the tenants. So whether that sort of works around what you've just mentioned there, but in the end, um, to make it easier for everybody, it was thought better to put in individual heat pumps, individual mm -hmm. systems, so the tenants then are responsible for their own bills. But to have central plant um, fed through heat interface units with metering, etc., so people pay for exactly what they use through the local authority is, is a good idea. Um, whether you'll find it will have um, a, a group of properties with central corridors and people actually turn their own heating off, leave the front door open into the corridor and the heat from the corridor goes into their flat. That's exactly what I would do. <laughs> I've seen that before. <laughs> I'm from Sunderland, mate. We'll do anything to save a few quid. But I think what we're talking about there, and we've covered this in many in many podcasts before, is collaboration because what, what, what we're missing there is because, um, you know, I think the problem there was that you'd have multiple tenants with multiple en energy providers. Uh, and yes, there should be that freedom of choice, but collaboration by bringing in an energy provider and really early discussions is what could we, how could we make this work? How can we provide uh, this uh, a commercial argument as to why going with this energy provider and having this flexible, um, you know, this service would, would be better for the homeowners? And I think as long as you lay that in an honest way with the right data, then, then, then it should work. Yeah, that sounds like a brilliant idea. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm still thinking about the village hall meetings and everybody coming together, to, you know, to talk about this new technology. I think it's really exciting, to be honest with you, because especially when, when I think about whether whether there's the most village halls for me are in rural communities, which tend to be off grid, mm. you know, and they're the ones that have got the big oil tanks outside, really worried about their high oil costs and energy costs. I think it's really exciting that you've got whether it's a small social housing community or a big social housing community coming together to make a seismic shift yeah. and raising the performance of their entire stock. So it's a really good provider going, right, it's about good insulation. Everything, putting in a decent kitchen, you know, things like that. Now you'll get you'll get social housing providers saying, let's let's pay a little bit more for a better kitchen because we want it to last longer because that cheap one that we used to put in is only going to last three, four years, gets knackered and we've got to pay for a replacement again. Mm -hmm. And as we know, the labour costs associated with constantly having to change things within social housing is massive. It is. So you're better off paying the labour once and going for a more quality product that lasts longer and saves money in the long run. Yeah. And and the, the, the aspect of the, the village hall demonstration, I think, 
you know, that, that's how we did it in the early days and, and driving the van around and showing things. But, you know, again, we're talking about huge scale here. We can't have a hundred vans going around the country showing people stuff. There's, there's ways and means of doing this at really at scale. And, you know, and, and what, what we will have is what we will have is a, you know, AR tool, essentially you can walk into a property, you can take pictures of that property, it will show you where the unit will sit, you can move the unit around, you can show the controls, you can even measure where the cylinder fit in there, you can also show them animation about how the water is going from the outdoor unit into the cylinder, into the underfloor heating, and you can really do all that remotely. And, and do it at scale. So people walk away with a really clear understanding about what they're getting, the benefits of it, and, and how it's going to work. Um, yeah, I think that, that definitely has a place. Uh, but I still think there's actually a, a good argument for actually standing in front of people with the kit and saying, this is it, this is how it works. Um, being able to look somebody in the eye and say, this should save you this amount of money. If we design this properly, if we install this properly, which we will, this is what you're going to save. Mm-hmm. The, what you've just described there is fantastic and there are some people, probably the newer generation, that subscribe to that. But there is a generation of people who, who will never see that. There's a generation of people who actually want to, to look you in the eye and say, what would this do? How would this help me? What is this going to do for my home? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's about using whatever means is right, I think, for whatever the project is and where it is and the, and the people that you're dealing with. It's, for me, it's just about great communication, mm-hmm. whether it's online, whether it's via Zoom, whether it's through some clever technology or meeting up in a village hall. It's kind of whatever it takes, really. Well, I a, think it goes hand in hand. If, if an engineer had the ability to demonstrate everything while he, was, he or she was in front of a tenant via that tool, then you've, you've got best of both worlds there. So it isn't that we would... Um, expect someone to dial in and remotely and see all this is that we would be standing in front of them, but showing them that this Understand. is how it, yeah, this okay. is how it looks. This yeah. is, because not everyone can get to a site to see a unit up and running. So not everyone in the social area and a vulnerable tenant could leave a property. We could we could do it all for them there. I mean, you know, I'm all up for new technology and Zoom and and AI, but there's nothing better than going to the village hall. Come on, <laughs> cup of tea and a bit of cake, talking about air source heat pumps. Brilliant! What a it's day a great out. Friday night. That. <laughs> So we talked about um, some of the challenges uh, and, and it was education was, would, would be uh, a big piece. Uh, and I think that's just, that's just with, with every, every topic that we talk about on, on our Serious Sustainability podcast, it's all about education. Uh, and we've also talked about collaboration and it's, it's bringing those parties together. That no one person has that, that, that uh, silver bullet. No one person has that, you know, that, that one idea is a lot of different technologies there. But So if you're an installer and you've been doing a lot of fossil fuels yep. uh, installations over the years, oil your, or your gas, and uh, you've done a lot of work for social housing, but now the social housing provider uh, is asking you for air source heat pump technology okay. or, or you're looking to promote air source heat pump technology to your existing client base, what advice would you, would you give to them? Okay, so for a, a local authority or housing association that's looking to get into this, um, if they already have an incumbent installer, they need to ask them what their credentials are with air source heat pumps, how many they've installed, uh, if they've been on any manufacturer courses, if they've got any qualifications uh, to install air source heat pumps, either ground source or air source. Um, making sure they partner with the right installer, once again, as we've mentioned a few times now, is really a, a key thing. Um, obviously, every installer has to start somewhere. Um, and it comes down to, I think, what the installer's capabilities are, and that's where an installer has to really step up and they have to want to embrace the technology. Uh, there's, as we can see from the market as it is, there's, from an installer point of view, a good business case to understand the technology and to move into it into a more whole-scale way. Um, but that takes the correct people in the correct places. So for a company to upskill to be able to do um, a lot of air source heat pump installations, they're going to have to spend a bit of money on finding the right people, training the right people, and wanting to do a good job. And I think there's companies out there that, unfortunately, we've seen, we've all heard about them, you know, we've all seen Rogue Trader. There's companies out there that want to make money and disappear. And the consumers, um, the local authorities and the housing associations need to weed those ones out and find the good ones by talking to the likes of yourselves um, and doing their, their research. Is there, any, is there any good advice that you give to, to those installers that are looking to make that transition? Um, probably to uh, speak to 
their chosen manufacturer. Hopefully, it'll be Mitsubishi. Um, of course. Uh, to, to, you, know, you guys have been in this game for a long time now, and the best thing they can do is to utilise your knowledge and your information. So it's going to take a bit of time for a new installer or an installer who's new to the technology to get up to speed, but it is about doing it in the right way, the structured way, take their time, get the right qualifications and credentials, um, get the training under their belt, and then work with uh, Mitsubishi to be able to perhaps do a couple of assisted commissions, make sure the systems are all, all correct and as they should be. I think the most, for me, just whether we're talking about social housing or, or anyone else in any other form of housing, the fact that heat pumps are being talked about more than ever mm. is quite exciting, I think, for, for the British housing industry because you know, you'll get governments making announcements about this. They're quite often mentioned on all sorts of popular media outlets all the time. And, and I think you've got people in social housing saying, hang on a minute, why haven't we got this technology and, and challenging their social housing provider to change the systems that they've they've got. You might even have an existing installer that that affordable housing or social housing providers used for many years who've come to an organisation like Mitsubishi Electric have been retrained, want to embrace that technology and going back to them because mm. some of these affordable, some of these housing associations are, are not big. You know, some are huge, some are absolutely massive, yeah. but some of them are not that big, to be honest with you. And I think to get someone who is an installer going, hang on a minute, we should be embracing this technology. It's, I think it's all about people celebrating it, understanding it, being educated in it, trusting it. So being as honest as possible about what's going to work and not going to work. And I think that, that, that's the kind of seismic shift we need across British housing. But the fact that government are talking about it and putting in incentives for people to take it on and for social housing providers to take it on is really exciting, I think. And I think, you know, our, our, our campaign, Upskill to Ecodan, you know, the training platforms, the, the blended training platforms that, that we provide of, you know, online learning, in-depth learning in the training centres, huge investments into our training centres, is that we could take both the social housing provider and the installer on that journey together and, you know, come in, learn about this technology, you know, sh sh watch how it's being used, watch how it's being installed, look at the, the good practices that we follow. Yeah, and, as, and we've, we've kind of hinted at it a bit, but, you know, I've gone out there and met social housing providers who, you know, they're, they're building new homes and they could quite easily just put in a gas boiler up until 2025 because that's when the ban comes in on new build and they're choosing not to do it. And they, and they haven't done it for many years previously. It's just been in the last couple of years when they've started to understand the technology, re-educated the people in their organisation as well. I think there's a lot of that because you know, the, there's certain companies out there that will say, well, let's just carry on doing it the way we've been doing it up till 2025. And then, oh, that'll never happen. <laughs> or another government will come in and things will change and the policy will change again. And actually, a, a lot of those organisations have said, no, no, hang on, let's, let's re-educate the staff internally. Let's change the mindset internally. Let's approach companies like Mitsubishi Electric EcoDan to be re-educated and let's see if this is something that we want to do. And before 2025, you know the organisations I'm talking about, there's quite a few out there where they've gone, no, no, we're going to do this already. We, we get it. We understand it now. We trust it. Let's get on and do it. And I think that's fantastic. That almost comes back to one of my first comments about Baber District Council and Ben Hancock, who was the submarine engineer. He'd already embraced different technologies um, so although you're not going to put submarine in, uh, kit into a, a council house, um, he could see the benefits of what the inverter-driven um, technology of a heat pump could offer. He could see the, the cost savings, both energy and the running cost for the tenants. And it's actually having someone in a key position in a housing association, in a local authority, who's got that forethought, who's got that, that, that ability to say, you know what, there's actually other technology, other kits out there that we should be using, we should, we should be embracing. Yeah, and I know we've, again, talked about it a bit, but I think, for me, it's the retrofit side that's the biggest challenge, really. You know, we know that by 2025, you know, all forms of new housing have to take on board alternative forms of green technology rather than burning fossil fuels. But for me, it's about the existing stock. That's It's that refurbishment side, because we've... Yes, we've lost a lot of council houses in, Britain's, but in Britain, but we've got a lot of um, social housing still being built by good housing associations. Um, it's that existing stock. That's the stuff that worries me more than anything else. You know, the new builds, we know there's legislation there now to change things. 
but you don't have to change them in existing buildings at that level. So I think it's that's where I start to worry. That's where that's where I think there needs to be that seismic shift in social housing to say, right, we're going to have a long term approach on this. Luckily, some of them are doing it. Excellent. So if I, if I was going to take anything from today, I think if I was a social housing provider listening, there are big funding streams available to help you on this journey. By going on this journey, you will improve the lifestyle of your tenants. Um, you will help some tenants out, out, of, out of food poverty by embracing this technology. And creating healthier homes, by the way. Absolutely spot on. And creating he- healthier homes. If you're an installer and you're engaging with social housing providers, come and talk to us upskill on Ecodan because we can we can help you get you trained up um, and understand the technology better and feel way more comfortable installing it. So there you have it, supporting social housing for net zero. A huge thanks to my guests, George and James, for coming on the show. And thank you for listening. Please share, subscribe, rate and review Ecodan, Serious About Sustainability podcast. Until next time, goodbye. We'll see you at the Village Hall. <laughs> for a bit of cake.